I was driving Dave's car this weekend. Dave's car has a backup camera in it. Mine does not. And um, it's difficult for me to get used to relying on a backup camera because I'm not in the habit of using one. And even though they have proven reliability, I don't trust them. And on this particular day, I was pulling out of a parking space at Target, and I put the car in reverse, and I immediately noticed that the camera turned on, but because I didn't trust it, I ignored it. And I instead turned and looked over both of my shoulders, checking what I thought was really the good distance behind me and, and, and you know, taking it into my own hands and checking for myself instead of trusting the camera. And I, I, I just wanted to make sure that things were safe for me to be able to proceed. And it was in that moment that I heard the Lord whisper to me and say, Rhea, you've got to start trusting the backup camera. And that was odd because... I, I knew it was his voice, <laughs> I knew it was God, but I couldn't figure out why in the world he would be talking to me about a backup camera. And so I, I shrugged it off and I proceeded to put the car in reverse and once again I checked over my shoulders one more time before cautiously pulling out of the parking space. There was a truck waiting behind me that was obviously in my blind spot that I had missed and I was fortunate that I didn't plow into but I'm, I'm pretty sure the truck would have been in that backup camera's view had I consulted it. It was then that I realized what God wanted me to see. In front of me I had a camera that had proven reliability and could clearly be trusted but I refused to utilize it. It could see things that in my own limited vision I couldn't see. Blind spots that I didn't even know were there. Dangers that I was oblivious to. And its job was to alert me to things that made navigating on my own risky. Its job was to keep me protected. Yet instead of relying on it, I insisted on taking things into my own hands and doing things my own way. So although it was proven and effective and completely trustworthy, it was no help to me unless I chose to utilize it, unless I chose not to ignore its warnings. Do you know that God is like that too? He's proven reliable and can absolutely be trusted. And yet I stubbornly sometimes refuse to put my confidence in him. And instead, I insist on constantly looking over my own shoulder and doing things my own way rather than resting in his capable ability to guide me. I chuckled as I drove away that day. You see, God knew that there was something in my life that I had been praying about that I keep trying to surrender to him, something that I struggle trusting him with a situation that I constantly take into my own hands, something that causes me to live watching over my shoulder because I fear, I'm just going to be honest with you, I fear that out of nowhere pain will suddenly come crashing into my life like a semi-truck crashing into my car in the Target parking lot. I'm fully aware that my vision about that thing I'm praying about is limited. I'm fully aware that God can probably see things more clearly than I and I absolutely know it's his job to protect me and keep me safe. <laughs> Yet I struggle with trusting him. 
I keep taking things into my own hands, and, and my doing that isn't a guarantee. Do you understand that, that, that I took things into my own hands instead of consulting the backup camera that was proven trustworthy and reliable and that clearly could see things I didn't see? I ignored that, and instead I looked over my own shoulder and tried to keep myself safe. That didn't work out well for me. And I do the very same thing with God. I give him this thing. I try to surrender. I consult him. I even, I even check his backup camera. And yet I insist on continually looking over my shoulder because I'm so terrified that he won't do a good job protecting me and that I'll get hurt again. The desire to take things into our own hands is a universal problem. And the stubborn refusal to trust a trustworthy God isn't just a problem that I struggle with. It's interesting to me how tempting it is to think we know more about our own safety than God. Trust is risky, but it's what God expects. He trusts us to trust him. And that's what I'd like to talk to you tonight. If you have your Bibles uh, with you, would you please open them to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. I want to look at verses 5 through 10. I'm not going to keep you late tonight, but these verses are just burning in my heart. They're verses that most of us, I bet if I brought you up here and, and had you one by one try to quote the scripture, most of you could quote it. Most of you have it memorized. But isn't it interesting that even though we have them memorized, we may not always be applying it to our life and living it out. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord. Uh, I'm not going to teach on this tonight. I threw this in because it so um, applies to the fast that we're on. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new, new wine. I just want to take a second and just look at that verse just because it's, it isn't what I'm going to teach on, but I, I want to, to make application for you uh, about the fast. You see, he says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase. If you're here tonight, can I just tell you the Lord gave you increase. You got another year of life. You, you crossed over from 2020 into 2021. And look at the promise. It says, if you honor him with the first, first, first fruits of your increase, your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. That's why we're doing this fast. We're giving him the first fruits of our new year. We're giving him the first uh, portion of our new year in a sacrifice, uh, the first fruits of that new year in the form of a fast. We're giving that, presenting that to God. And I believe, I've seen it work time and time again. We've been doing this for, I don't know, 15, 18 years, would you say, Leah? A long time we've been doing this as a Monday night fast. And, and I've seen that he honors that fast and he brings deeper increase. I see it. There's a deeper knowledge of him that comes. Or, or some people's ministries are, are propelled forward because of the fast. He honors a fast. And he tells us that he expects first fruit offerings. That's why tithing is so important. Can I promise you that that is a, that is a principle that I would stake my life on? That he honors tithing. People say that's an Old Testament principle. Really? He honors it. He says everything that you have is his anyway. 
He's just giving it to you, and he's asking you to give back to him that tithe, that 10%. I just recently, uh, I, I, I had, um, at the end of my year, I looked at my tithe, and, and I'm a faithful tither, but I realized that I had withheld some tithe un, un, unbeknownst to me. I was ignorant of the fact that I had done that, and, and so I quickly wrote a check, and when I wrote the check, ugh, I'm not going to lie, it was Christmas time, all my kids were home, I have a huge grocery bill when all my kids are home, and, and I was like, oh, Lord, I, I really could use this, and certainly you would understand if I used this on my children. Let's call it a tithe, and I'll tithe it on my children then. But, but I wrote the check, and I knew, honor the Lord with all your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase so that your barn will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. And I wrote the check, and I wrote it to Grace Church, and I said, Dave, here. <laughs> and I, I think he probably even had to pull it from my hand because I was like, I could do so much. We need that money. I could, I could do so much with that to take care of my children over Christmas. And, but I gave it to him because I understand the principle. But I'm not going to be up here and super spiritualize and tell you that I didn't cringe. But if I'm lying, I'm dying. How long after was it? Maybe a week, I think, yeah. I had a bag that somebody gave me. And I had it sitting on my desk before I wrote the check. I just didn't have time to go through it. And I pulled an envelope out that had my name on it. And it wasn't just double that tithe. It was five times the tithe. Five times. Both of us, we were, we were speechless. Because you don't understand. See, if, if you're writing a tithe check and you don't miss it, you are a lucky duck. But for, for Dave and I, that tithe check is major. It, we, we, we could use that tithe check. Are you following me? And that particular one I could really have used. And yet I understood that principle. If you honor him with all your possessions and with your first fruits, you do that so that your barn will be filled with plenty and your wine will overflow. And I immediately saw that in my life. And so we entered into this tithe and it was, or this, this fast, and it was no different for me. You see, I understand if I give him the first fruits of my year, he'll honor that. He'll increase. You say, well, Rhea, that's a, that's a little religious, that's a little works mentality. No, it's not. That's God's principle. He, Jesus himself said, when you fast, not if. It wasn't ever supposed to be up for debate. It was, this should be a regular spiritual principle in our life. And so do, I, I, I'm not going to teach on that tonight. I just wanted to share that story with you because it absolutely blew my mind. But So look over at, at chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. That's what I want to look at tonight. I, I, I wonder how many of you have ever heard of Charles Blondin. Anybody ever hear of him? Charles Blondin, and, and Lynn, if you could give me that first. He was a French tightrope walker. And he became famous in 1859 when he crossed Niagara Falls on a tightrope, a tightrope that was stationed above the raging rapids. It was uh, on a rope that was about 1,000 feet long. And uh, huge crowds came out to see him. I think they probably came out to witness him falling, but huge crowds gathered uh, to, to watch him uh, descend on this tightrope and, and cross the, the Niagara Falls. And, and, and they were mesmerized by his ability. Can you imagine a tightrope stretched a quarter of a mile uh, spanning the breadth of Niagara Falls? 
I can't even imagine what that must have been like. And, and he not only crossed that once, he crossed it several times. Each time he would, he would get more and more, uh, the more and more daredevil would come out of him. And, and he would increase the ante. One time he did it, uh, you can see there he's crossing it. But we have another picture where he, he did a headstand uh, on, on the middle of the tightrope right across the Niagara Falls. Uh, another one, he, he took a, a, a table out and, and somebody said he carried a, a, a stove on the back of his back and he made an omelet on the middle of that tightrope and, and ate it. And uh, another time he took a wheelbarrow across the, the Niagara Falls. I think we have a picture of that as well. And, and every time he would do this, the crowd would ooh and ah, and, and they, would, they were so impressed with him and with his ability. You see, he had proven he could do it. They had witnessed his ability. But, but the test of the crowd's faith came when he said to the audience, do you believe I can carry a person across in that wheelbarrow? Well, they cheered, and they were like, yes, we believe. And, and then he said, who will volunteer to get in that wheelbarrow? Obviously, nobody replied. <laughs> See, they might have believed that Blondin could do it, but they weren't about to trust him when it came to trusting him with their own life. They believed in him, but their actions denied their true belief. You see, we do the same when it comes to God. We say we believe in him, but our actions prove we don't really believe. We believe in him, but when it comes to abandoning our whole life to him and to his protection, that's a different story. And God is looking for followers who will trust him completely with their lives. Blondin had a manager, his name was uh, Harry Concord, and uh, Cold Cord, and, and Cold Cord had confidence in Blondin. He had walked with him long enough, he had witnessed his ability, and, and he agreed to get on the back of Blondin and let him go across Niagara Falls. Now, can you just imagine what that must have been like? And, and this was before, you know, they would, they, they would do a test run or a trial run, they just did it. And, and, and Harry, London's manager trusted him. He trusted his ability. But what they didn't calculate is that they both weighed 145 pounds. And, and it was good when it first started, but as they continued to get across that tightrope, it got a little, things got a little difficult. And there's lots of, of stories uh, about that. But, but, but Blondin knew what he was doing. And at one point, they got to the middle of the wire, and Blondin said to Harry, Harry, you are no longer Calcord. You are a Blondin. Until I clear this place, you must become part of me. Be one with me, if you will. If I sway, you sway with me. Do not attempt to do any balancing yourself. If, we, if, we, if you do, we both shall go down to our, de our death. He was saying, you're on my back. You act as one with me. If I sway, make sure you sway. Everything I do, you do. We need to act as one. And if you do that, I'm going to get you through safely. See, Blondin's manager had faith in him and was willing to put his whole life and future on his back. He trusted his wiser, more experienced friend, and, and, and Blondin continued along until at last they crossed and reached the other side safely. When we come to Christ, he begins to carry us through life. And as we navigate dangers and risks, he reminds us that we are to be one with him. And we should not attempt to do any balancing ourselves. We have to trust that he knows what he's doing and that he will carry us to safety. That's what faith is. It's total 
trust that God has us and that he can carry us through. It's a conviction of such strength that we will rest the whole weight of our life and future upon the God in whom we trust. Blondin's manager had such confidence in his ability, such faith in him that he was willing to put the whole weight of his life on him and let him carry him across that tightrope. That's what God wants from us, that kind of abandonment. He wants us to exercise total trust in him and in his faithfulness. I don't know about you, but sometimes my faith is piecemeal. You see, we trust God with our salvation, but not with our children. Or we trust God with our friendships, but not with our finances. Or we, we trust God with our marriages, but not with our employment. Or God wants us to trust him with our whole life and not pick and choose. We have to have the kind of faith that is willing to get in the wheelbarrow or climb upon his back whenever he commands. We need to trust the Lord with our whole heart. It's when we trust God that we show that our faith is real. Trust is the theme of the verses that we're going to look at tonight. You can see that these verses can be separated into four separate clauses, and we're going to look at them one by one. The first one is trust in the Lord with all of your heart. The second is lean not on your own understanding. The third is in all your ways acknowledge him. And the fourth, he will make your paths straight. Let's begin with trust in the Lord with all your heart. You see, the, the call of the Christian is to have the same sort of trust that makes us prepare to put our all into God's hands. Not trusting him from afar, but trusting him with all our heart. Like Blondin's manager and what he was willing to do with him. God is looking for the same thing from us. Will you trust me with all of your heart? That word trust is very interesting there. It does mean trust. It means to trust in. It means to have confidence in or to be confident. It means to be secure or to be made secure. It means to feel safe. But here are the, here's the part of the definition that I love the most. It means to fear nothing for oneself. It means to set one's hope and confidence upon another. Here's the interesting one. It means to throw one down on one's back or one's face. That was interesting. I, I meditated on that all week because what does it mean to throw one down on one's back or one's face? Wiersbe says it means to lie helpless face down. It pictures a servant waiting for the master's command in readiness to obey. Or this, a defeated soldier yielding himself to a conquering general. It's a picture of utter helplessness. It's a picture of a man totally stretched out on his face before God. And the message of his posture is total helplessness and dependence upon God. That's what God is looking for. My favorite definition of trust is to rely on out of a sense of security usually in the face of danger, to rely on. Out of a sense of security, usually in the face of danger. You say, well, Rhea, you don't know what I'm going through right now. No, but I can tell you the one who's proven to be faithful and trustworthy and that he has you and he wants you to live in total trust, total abandonment to him. Skip Moen says, when I put my whole life in his hands, I do not erase the possibility of doubt. I simply refuse to accept it as real. That's a great description of trust to me. It's saying that no matter what, it doesn't mean that I won't doubt, is God going to do this? It means that I am just going to totally erase any 
idea of that out of my head. It might come, but I'm going to say that God is trustworthy no matter what. Notice she says, trust in the Lord. Who are we to trust? The Lord. Some of you have had people who have betrayed you, who have hurt you deeply, and you, you, you really, it's done a number on your trust, but can I tell you the one who is totally and completely trustworthy invites you to trust in him with all your heart. Trust in the Lord. That word Lord is Jehovah. It's the word that, that, that God said to Moses. Moses said, who shall I tell him sent us? When, when, when God says, I want you to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And he said, when my people say, who sent you? What am I supposed to tell him? Because this is a good one, God. And God says, tell him I am. He used that word. He said, tell him I am. It's the great I am. What he's saying is everything I have need of, everything you have need of, I am. My answer to your need is I am the answer. I am. Do you need, what do you need? He is. That's why you can trust in him. Trust in the Lord and the great I am with all of your heart. Notice it says with all of your heart. Our, our trust must be entire. To trust God half-heartedly is not trust at all. Trapp says, they trust not God at all that do not trust God alone. He that stands with one foot on a rock and another foot upon quicksand will sink and perish as certainly as he that stands with both feet in quicksand. There is to be no limit on our confidence in him. We're to trust him with all of our heart. Notice the word heart there. You've heard me teach on this a million times. The, the word heart in the Bible is our mind, our will, and our emotions. Oh, <laughs> trusting God with all my emotions, really? Because my emotions can carry me away. I don't know about yours, but mine can. And he says, Rhea, here is the answer. Trust in me with all your emotions with all of your mind, your thinking process. You know, Rhea, when you lay awake in bed at night and your mind starts going and you're thinking about all of these things, here's the invitation. Trust me with all of your mind, with all of your thinking process, with all of your will. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Scripture tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's why we're told to guard it, to watch over it, because it can lead us down the wrong path. And God says, here is the answer. Trust me with all of your heart, with all of your heart. The Bible says to guard your heart because out of it flows the issues of life. I was meditating on that scripture this week, and I was thinking, you know, I, I don't know about you. Maybe you don't have issues. I've got some issues. And, <laughs> and God says, here's the answer to that, Rhea. Guard your heart. Because out of it flows all the issues you have. It's coming from your heart. It's coming from a heart that's not trusting me completely. It's coming from a heart that's not surrendered to me. The way we guard our hearts is to unashamedly trust God with that heart. He says, trust the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. That word trust, I, I told you, it meant to throw, one, it, to throw oneself or cares on anyone. I, Lord, I am going to trust you with all my heart. I'm throwing all of these cares, all of myself onto your back. I'm casting my cares onto you, and I'm going to trust you with them, and I am not going to lean on my own understanding of what's happening right now. My own understanding of the circumstances. You see, I did that in Target parking lot. I looked over my own shoulder to try to keep myself protected. I thought I could see everything. And I didn't lean. I leaned on my own understanding instead of the trustworthy, reliable backup camera. And it got me in trouble. 
Leaning on our own understanding will do that. You see, the desire to take things into our own hands becomes consuming at times. To function with our limited knowledge and act on what we have perceived or discerned as happening is leaning on our own understanding. It was me trusting myself to protect me, and I almost hit the semi-truck behind me. Instead of relying on and trusting in something that had proven reliability, God says, don't make that mistake. Don't lean on your own understanding of the circumstances, your own limited knowledge. That, that word, that their understanding, it really talks about our, our sin nature, our, our unrefined sin nature. Don't lean on that sin nature. Don't do it. Instead, trust in me with all your heart. Proverbs 23, 26 said, My son, give me your heart and let your eyes delight in my ways, not your ways. Give me your heart, your mind, your will, your emotions, and let your eyes delight in my ways because they're the right ways. So often my trust in God is mouth service only. I think I can do a better job protecting myself. Look at, back at Blondin's manager. What if he had hopped off in the middle of that tightrope, in the middle of Niagara Falls, and said, you know what, Blondin, you're not doing a very good job at this. I think I will just try to get myself over. I can do a better job. That would have been ridiculous. Blondin was the expert. Blondin was the one who was skilled. Blondin was the one who was able to carry him across safely. What, what would have happened if Harry would have jumped off his back and said, you know what, you're blowing it. You're not doing a good job here. I'll get myself the rest of the way. And yet that is what we do every single day when we choose to take things into our own hands instead of trusting the one, the one and only who will be faithful to carry us through. The one who can see the things we cannot see. The one who has knowledge that we don't have. And he invites us to a place of trust. He said, don't lean on your own understanding. That word lean means to lean on, to trust and to support. To lean upon, to support oneself. This podium, I can lean on it. <laughs> it's supporting me. That's what he's saying. Don't lean on your limited knowledge. Don't lean on your limited understanding of what's going on around you. Even if you think you have it all figured out, even if you think you have all the details you need to make an informed decision, I promise you, you don't. It's like my backup camera. You only have limited vision. You have to consult the backup camera. You and I, as we go through life, have limited knowledge. We have limited vision, and we have a divine backup camera named Jesus, and he is trustworthy, and he is reliable, and he has information we don't have, and he can see things that we can't see, blind spots that we're oblivious to. Don't lean on your own understanding. He says, don't trust in your own fleshly thinking. Our limit, our understanding is limited. There are blind spots we're not aware of. We have to choose to trust in the Lord with all of our heart instead and not lean on our own understanding. He says, in, in all your ways, look at that, in all of your ways, that's exhausted. That's not you have the one circumstance that, that isn't covered here. In all your ways, acknowledge him. That means all without exception, entirety. Not some areas to his control, not acknowledge him in some areas, but keep some back from him in all your ways. That word ways, it means path, distance, journey, 
It's the course of life. As you go through the course of life, in all your ways, acknowledge him. As you go through the course of life, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And don't you dare lean on your own understanding. Instead, in all your ways, just acknowledge him. And he'll direct your path in all of your ways. That means every decision you make. That means every conversation you have. Tonight, uh, we, were, we were praying before service. We were acknowledging him in all of our ways. There, there's no way I'm going to walk in here to preach without acknowledging him. I promise you that. Because I need him to direct my path. It's one thing to trust God for your salvation and eternal destiny. And it's another to completely trust him in your day-to-day course of life. So interesting to me how we trust him with that big thing. That's a huge thing, eternal destiny. And we trust him. And yet we don't trust him with our children or with our addiction or with our anger or with our finances or with our marriage or with a spouse that we want but don't have. Or We don't trust him in all your ways, big and small. One commentator said, trouble the master about all that troubles you in all your ways, relational, spiritual, financial, temporal, marital. Notice that the word trust here is paralleled with lean not on your own understanding. It indicates that trust is God's, trust in God's understanding of a circumstance is what we need, not our own understanding. That word acknowledge, in all your ways acknowledge him, it's much deeper than an acknowledgement. I preached this wrong. I'll just confess that before you. I I really felt like the word acknowledge, in all your ways acknowledge him. I I used to say to people, just acknowledge him. Just give him a nod and acknowledge them that he's there. That's not at all what it means. It's much, much deeper than that. That word acknowledge means to know, to learn to know, to perceive to find out and discern, to know by experience, oh, to be acquainted with. It's the Hebrew word yada. Does anybody know what that means? Uh, it, it means to know someone. It's not just to know about someone. It's, it's a picture of having personal knowledge that's gained through intimate experience. It's the word that was used in Genesis, I don't know, 4 maybe, where, where the Bible says that Adam knew Eve and she conceived and brought forth a son. It's that same word. In other words, it's a, it's a Jewish idiom for sexual intercourse. And, and it, in all your ways, acknowledge, know God, be intimate with God, know him so deeply and so intimately and so personally, and he'll direct your path. Jeremiah in chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, equates knowing the Lord with knowing his word and having it written upon our hearts. It's a picture of intimacy. When he says, in all your ways, acknowledge uh, the Lord. Acknowledge God. It means it's a picture of intimacy. It's a picture of an encounter. You see, I'm I'm just telling you, I'm so tired. I prayed about it tonight. I'm so tired of church just being a place where we can come and learn about God, but there's no encounter with him. There's no intimacy. There's, There's no connection, no personal connection that leaves you changed. When we get in his presence, it should be a place of encounter that radically changes our life. But what happens is we don't really want to know him. 
We want to know about him. I, I know a lot about Donald Trump. I can tell you what number president he is. I can tell you about his wife and his children. Uh, I might even be able to tell you some of his favorite things. I know a lot about Donald Trump, but I don't know Donald Trump. I'm not personally acquainted with him. You see, some of you are sitting here tonight, and I'll say this as tender as I can possibly say it. Some of you are sitting here tonight, and you know a lot about God. You've been raised in church, but you don't know God. You don't have a personal, intimate relationship with him. You haven't gotten to know him by experience. It's head knowledge. He says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Get to know him. What would our marriages, those of you that are married, what would our marriages be like without trust? If you couldn't trust your spouse, what would your marriage be like? Do some of you struggle with trusting God like that? And then you wonder why there's not any intimacy or connection between you. Because you're projecting that onto him, that, that because you don't know him, you can't trust him. I, I didn't trust Dave the first time I went on a date with him. Or the second time. or You see, I, I learned to trust Dave as I built relationship with him as we got to know each other, as, as we shared intimate things with each other, I, I, as, I, as I learned about him and got to know him, that's when I started to trust him. You see, some of you don't trust God because you don't know him. And as you spend time in his word, meditating on his truths and seeing that he really does mean what he says, that he is a promise keeper, and that he is absolutely, totally, completely trustworthy, you'll begin to get an intimacy and a connection with him that will surprise even you. But that's why he tells us the first step is to trust him with all of our heart. What does James say about a divided heart? You see, that's what we want. We, we want to have that one foot on the rock and one foot on sinking sand. And, and, and who was it? Wearsby that says it doesn't matter if you have one on the rock, that sand's gonna, sinking sand is going to take you down. You can't afford to have a divided heart. You've got to put it all on him. Trust him with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, be intimate and connected with him. Acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Higgins says, the more we know, acknowledge God, the clearer his will becomes. A knowledge of God includes the awareness of what brings him pleasure. To know God is to know what is consistent with his character. Can I tell you, I know Dave. I can tell you what he's going to say before he says it. Sometimes when we're in, in uh, groups, Somebody can be talking to him, and I'll watch the expression on his face, and I know what he's thinking just in that conversation. That's how well I know him. Because the more you know somebody, the more you know their will, the more you have their heart. Do, do you see? And he's saying, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Get to know him. Become intimate with him because when you do, he'll direct your path because he won't even have to. You'll want to do his will because to know him is to know his heart. To know his heart is to know his will. Do you see it? Do you see it? 
The more time we spend in his word, renewing our mind with his truth and learning his ways, the more we cast out our own understanding. The more we realize how how messed up our own understanding is and the less likely we will be to follow the dictates of our own flesh. Proverbs 28, 26 says, He who leans on, trusts in, and is confident in his own mind and heart is a self-confident fool. But he who walks in skillful and godly wisdom shall be delivered. I like the Amplified. It says, he who trusts confidently in his own heart is a dull, thick-headed fool. But he who walks skillfully and godly, in skillful and godly wisdom will be rescued. I can't even tell you how much I'm beginning to realize that this word really works. That God gives us this word to direct us and it protects us. You see, when we do what God says, regardless of what we're feeling, when we follow God's ways, it is is an umbrella of protection over our lives. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your path. Charles Bridges says, no step well prayed over will bring ultimate regret, and that's what I see. That when I'm intimate with him, when I spend time in his word, when I spend time meditating on his truths, when I, when I stop leaning on my own understanding like a broken crutch and instead I lean on his word and, and, and the understanding he gives me of his word, I, I realize at that point that it keeps me from ultimate regret. He says in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path some of your Translation said he'll make your path straight. That word straight means travel made safe by clearing and leveling the road. It means to be right, to be straight, to be level, to be upright, to be lawful, to be pleasing and agreeable. That's what happens when we're intimate with him. We spend time in his word. That's the way we start living. Precept Austin says God will clear obstructions and enable you to go forward. He directs the path of those who wholeheartedly put their trust in him. That's what intimacy will do. The the word straight there, um, it literally describes a cutting straight road through difficult terrain to make a path straight. It means there's all this difficult terrain in front of me and, and I don't have a level path to walk through. But, but if in all my ways acknowledge him, he'll make that path straight. He'll cut a path through that difficult terrain. See, some of you are in difficult situations right now and it's just a mess, the path in front of you. Can I tell you, and if all your ways, if you just trust in the Lord with all of your heart and in all your ways acknowledge him, you get intimate with him, you spend time in his word and with him, I promise you, he will cut a path through that difficult terrain and he will do what you can't do in your own strength but you've got to 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 respond to that initial invitation to trust in the lord with all of your heart with all of your heart i love how charles stanley summed this verse up and i just want to read that to you in closing he says when we follow the lord's guidance He protects us from side roads and eliminates obstacles and confusion along the way. In basic terms, the straight path is the one of obedience. We may stumble along the way or need redirection, but God repeatedly brings us back when we have a heart to obey him. His path isn't always easy, 
but it's always the best. When we think we can do a better job of plotting our own course for happiness and prosperity, it may look good for a while, but eventually we'll suffer the wear and tear that comes from taking unprotected detours. You've heard me say a million times that my favorite scripture is, God's pleasant path leads to pleasant places. I'm telling you that. I, I really know that to be true. That when I lean on my own understanding and I respond the way I want to respond instead of the way God wants me to respond, it always leads me to an unpleasant place. When I do what feels right to my flesh and I indulge my flesh, it might feel okay for a while, but it will always lead to a place of destruction. But when I trust in him with all my heart, and I don't lean on my own understanding of circumstances I'm facing or the situation I find myself in, if I tap into what I know about him because I've been intimate with him and I know his word, oh baby, he directs my path to pleasant places. And that's the invitation that he gives us tonight. But just like my, there's a scripture that I think I'm going to teach on next week that talks about um, commit your ways to the Lord, trust in him with all your heart, and then it goes on and on. But what's interesting to me is that what came first was commitment. I committed to Dave, and then I learned I could trust him, and then intimacy, deep intimacy, really came. See, some of you have made the commitment to God, but you haven't begun to trust him with all your heart. And you don't have that intimacy that maybe you're craving. I talked to somebody tonight, and she said to me, Rhea, I've been drinking. I need you to pray for me. And she was ashamed, and I picked her chin up, and I looked at her, and I said, the only reason you're drinking is to numb the pain that's inside of you that God wants to heal, that God wants to heal, that you can trust him to heal. You see, she's leaning on her own understanding of a circumstance, and so she has no, dis no choice but to numb her pain. But God wants to heal that pain. Trust in the Lord. Not your friend, not your spouse, not your boyfriend, not the woman who's making you feel good at work. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. See, I can look at a circumstance and I think I had this under, I'm understanding what's going on here. How many of you have ever been in a conversation with somebody and you're a step ahead of them, you already have it figured out? <laughs> That's how I am with God sometimes. God just figured out. I don't even need to consult you, Lord, because I got some understanding. No, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, every last one of them, every second of the day, Acknowledge him. Bring him into your moment. And he'll direct your path. Good stuff? Man, it's good stuff. I'm, I don't care if you're blessed. I'm blessed. I've been blessed by that. I just, a scripture I've had memorized since I was probably 15 years old. I so want intimacy. I, I want it. You can have it all the time. I, I've uh, too much information here, but I pray constantly about my intimacy with my husband. We have intimacy. 
but baby, I want more, and I want it to be deeper, and I want it to be passionate. I pray about it all the time. Now, why would I pray about it with Dave and not with God? You see, I got intimacy with God, but I want more. I am not satisfied. I'm an intimacy freak. I, I want more, and I want that for you. I, I'm going to ask Megan to come. and I, I just really I felt strongly as I was working on this message that, that we need to kick off this new year with, with just a time of prayer tonight before you go. If you have to leave, slip out quickly, just quietly, it's okay. I know that sometimes when I talk about a prayer time, people get a little, uh, you know, weirded out. What is up with that? I, I'm the kind of person, Leslie, am I, am I right? When there is an opportunity for prayer at the altar, I run. I, I'm like, first one there. I, I want whatever the Lord wants to do. I want it. I want it. I don't care about cool points. I don't care about, you know, what people think. I just want as much of God as he will give to me. I am so concerned. I, I'm so concerned about the state of the United States. I can't even tell you. I have conversations with people and the lights are out. I talk to people about Jesus and they're like, well, that's good for you. I'm thinking, you are facing an eternity. And you're just like dead deer in the headlights over Jesus. I am concerned about the United States. I'm concerned about Milwaukee. I'm concerned about my neighborhood. I'm concerned about the spiritual lethargy I see in God's people. I'm concerned for it. I'm just sorry. I am. And we have got to start doing something about it in our own lives, in our own churches, in our own Bible study. If you're sitting here tonight and you're like, when is she going to get this over with? I'm concerned. I'm concerned. Do you understand? Absent from the body. I said to somebody this week, we are spirit beings. That's all we are. We are created in his image and in his likeness. God is a spirit, the Bible says, and those who worship him will worship in spirit and truth. We are spirit beings housed in a body. Thank the Lord this isn't the one I'm stuck with. We're housed in a body. That's why this body, I, I'm telling you, the older I get, my, my, my grandbabies were here for Christmas. Lord, keep me on track. The, my grandbabies were here for Christmas, and I was on the floor playing with them, and I just loved it. But, baby, I got up to, to get off the floor, and I could barely do it because this body is decaying. It's weak, but my spirit is strong and it's because I am a spirit being housed in the body this was never meant to be my permanent permanent home this United States is never meant to be your permanent home my daddy is dying of cancer who knows how long he has absent from the body is present with the Lord why would I mourn why would I mourn over that because I am confident when he is absent from his body, he is at the place that he was created for, present with the Lord for the rest of eternity. Where are you going to spend eternity? I'm just asking you. I'm asking you. Where are you going to spend eternity? Because we need to start asking ourselves this question. With your father. But 
we've got to learn to trust him with all of our heart, to stop leaning on our own understanding, to, to not be like intimate with all these other things in life and, and seeking after all these other things in life. And God is waiting there for intimacy, for connection with us, and we are blowing him off like I blow off my backup camera. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. There is nothing that this world can offer you that is anywhere close to how good he is. No drug can get you high enough. I, I said to that little sweet thing today, I said, can I trust you? You can't get drunk enough to, to, to be able to, to make up for what God wants to do in your life. There is no high higher than that. I've tried it all. I'm, not, I'm saying this through experience. There's nothing better. But we've got to stop messing around. Yeah, stop messing around. I, I know I have a prophetic mouth. I know that. I know I have an evangelistic call. I'm aware of that. But I've sat on it long enough. I am going to beckon from the rooftops what I know about God. And I'm going to stop messing around because people are uncomfortable. We have got to start asking ourselves the hard question. If God would return tomorrow, what are we going to say to him? How have we wasted our time? Our conversations, our talents. I believe with all of my heart that the time is drawing near. I believe it. I could give you scripture after scripture after scripture. I believe it's drawing near. And we have got to start looking at our hearts. prayed tonight. Scripture says, do not forsake the assembling together of the saints as some of you are in the habit of doing. I said, Lord, I'm concerned that the people who have stopped assembling together out of fear of COVID are now in the habit. And how are they going to break that habit? Nothing could keep me from sitting here on Sunday morning. Nothing. You could put a leper next to me and I would embrace him and say, praise the Lord. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. If we are not safe in the house of the Lord, where are we safe? Your bedroom cannot keep you safe. It's time for the church to begin to rise up. To rise up in the strength of what we carry. Do you understand what we carry. I thought I was going to jump out of my seat when Megan was singing because you see I understand what I carry. I want to pray for the sick. I want to see the, 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 the sick healed, the dead raised, the deaf hear, the lame walk. I want to see it because I understand what I carry. It's not about Rhea. It's about the, the power of God within me. We carry that. What would happen if we walked out into a world that's living in fear right now with what we carry? But instead, some of us are hiding with them. We're covering with them, cowering with them. Jesus, have mercy on us. Eye has not seen nor ear has heard what God has in store for those who 
Lord, I thank you that you love us. That you love us. That you know us by name. You call us by name. That every hair on our head is numbered by you. You are familiar with all of our ways. You hem us in behind and before, and you've laid your hand upon us. This knowledge is too lofty for me. It's too much for me to attain. Where can we go from your spirit, Lord? If we go to the depths, you're there. If we go to the darkness, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths of the sea, even there you are. Lord, I pray for a renewal in the hearts and the minds of every person in this room. Revive your people, I pray. Revive me. Revive us again, Lord. Create in us clean hearts and renew a right spirit within us. Draw us, Lord, with your loving kindness, Lord. Grant us hearts that are steeped in repentance, Lord God. That are quick to turn from sin and to embrace righteousness, right living, purity of hearts and minds. Lord, I pray that right now there would be a purification process that would sweep through this room, that you would purify mindsets, Lord. Purify thoughts. Purify hearts. Lord, a mending process that would, would mend broken hearts. Lord, I pray for the people who have put up walls to protect themselves because they've been so hurt, they've been so abused, they've been so wounded, they've been so neglected and rejected. Father, I call those walls down in the mighty name of Jesus to collapse and be dismantled in Jesus' name. We choose, Lord God, to trust in you with all of our hearts. We commit afresh and anew to place our trust in you, the only trustworthy one. Cultivate holiness in us, Lord God. Cultivate holiness. Without holiness, no one, no one will see the Lord. I pray, Father, for the areas in our hearts and our minds that have been deceived, <laughs> deceived, Lord God. The Bible says we're deceived by the pride of our heart. Lord, I pray for every area of deception that's present in this room tonight. I pray that the light switch would go on and that you would reveal, Lord God, the depth of, of deception that we've bought into and help us to turn, Lord. Lord, I pray that you'd make a, 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 an army of sold-out believers for you. Sold-out believers. Sold-out believers. Jesus. I pray for those whose dreams have died. <laughs> whose fire has gone out. Oh, Lord God, rekindle a fire. Rekindle a fire. Let your fire fall right now, even as they sit here, Lord God. I pray for the fire of God to just sweep over their souls. I pray it be tangible that they could feel it, Lord God, that you'd sweep, sweep, and stir in them a hunger for righteousness, a thirst after, after righteousness, Lord God, a desire for the things of God, a knowledge of the holy. Jesus. 
Jesus, we give you this new year. I pray that none of us would be sitting here next year at this time the same. Your word says you lead us from glory to glory. Take us in deeper. Take us up higher. Lord, we're not interested in ankle deep. We're not interested in knee deep. Lord, we want to get in over our heads. Total abandonment, total trust in the Lord with all of our heart. I pray for those sitting here tonight whose ears have been stopped up. They hear, but they don't hear. They see, but they don't see. Lord, I'm asking you to touch them. Unstop their ears. Open their eyes. Consuming fire. Fall on this place tonight. Yes, Lord, that we can't contain. We can't control. We want more of you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Set a fire. 